And you know when you get You know you know when you get me going. When you, when you, when we, when you get me going, mm-hmm, yeah, he's, uh, a probably fifties. Okay. It's one guy, the owner. One guy, the owner, one mechanic that's been with him for forever, and one office girl. Interesting. That's it. Is he Christian? Yes, I believe so. I believe he is, yes. Goes to a cowboy church, but I think yeah. <laughs> Which I have my doubts about them, but he, yeah. he's, he's got fruits. He's, he's bearing good fruits of, of a, you know, a straight, straight blow. He, he can, he can. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm glad you're here. Whether you're in our church today, Gospel Saving Church, or listen to me on SoundCloud via via podcast or wherever you are in the world, uh, did you know that by doing so, you are showing God that He is important to you today? Because when we do something that God says to do, we're showing Him that He's important and His Word's important to us. And by being in church, He wants us to be in church and be in fellowship together. And so you're showing God that He's important to you today, and you're showing Him that His Word means something to you today by what you're doing. If this is your first time here in Gospel Saving Church or listen to me across, across abroad, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church on our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, will you join me in a word of prayer, please? We always ask God to bless the service and bless my mouth and bless our hearts to help us understand His Word. For we know that the Bible says that only the Spirit of God is the one that tells us the truth. It's only the Spirit of God that reveals God's truths to us. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord God, for you pour them out upon all mankind all over the place and all the time, Lord God, every single day. And Lord... I just ask, Lord, as we know your word says, ask. We know that you know what we're going to ask for, Lord, but you still say ask anyway. So I ask that you would help us, Lord, to understand your words today, your spiritual words today. For we know that your words are not flesh and blood, but they're spirit and truth, Lord. So we ask you to help us understand your spiritual words today. For we are flesh, Lord, and we have a hard time understanding the things of the spirit unless, Lord, we're open and then you are able to teach us by your spirit. So help us, Lord God. Help us. Please help us. We're so frail and we're so weak. So many people think that they're so strong and so mighty and so tough, Lord, but really we're just so weak and we're so frail. Help us, Lord God. Help us to understand you and help us to understand what you have to say to us today. And then, Lord, you know, I almost pray it every single time, Lord. I I also pray, Lord, you wouldn't just help us understand your words and to hear them, but Lord, help us to do whatever it is that you want us to do. Lord, help us not to just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word also. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 right now if you'd like to, but for that's where we're going to be today. But I won't read them or teach them over until I'm done with my thoughts from last week's message. Continually in prayer and supplication. Last week, we looked at a little but huge detail of how the faithful followers of Christ 
after Christ's resurrection, were seeking God continually in prayer and supplication. And I told you why I believe they were doing this. Remember, they had gone back to the upper room to sit and they prayed together and they fasted together and they were together for, you know, until the day of Pentecost came. Well, I told you why. Christ had given them a pretty huge and important job as he was leaving. Remember Acts 1.8. He says to them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he gave this group of 11 misfit disciples the job to evangelize the whole world. Wow. These guys were fishermen and tax collectors and, and nobody, yet he gives them the job to evangelize the whole world. Well, that's a pretty big job. And as they were probably gripped with fear and dread, and they knew they couldn't do it on their own and they needed one, God to show up in a big way in their lives. Two, God to give them confidence. And three, God to give them the ability they needed to do what Christ had told them to do. And along those lines, even Christ, after he was baptized, remember, went into the wilderness and fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And another time he went up on a mountain and prayed all night before he made the huge decision as which men of God that God wanted him to pick to choose to be his 12 disciples. And so even Jesus Christ sought the Lord in difficult situations, even as the disciples did. And if Jesus Christ and the disciples all practiced setting themselves apart and, and, and then going in continual prayer and supplication in grievous and extremely difficult times, it must be a great spiritual practice and God must love when his children do it. That's why I've done it and that's why I've given you examples of the two times, I could have given you more, but just two times that I practiced this continual prayer and supplication when I was in need of God to show up in a big way and give me confidence and help me do the things that he, that I believed he had asked me to do. When I've humbled myself and practiced these things, God has never refused to answer me. And neither do we read of Jesus Christ or the disciples ever not getting God to respond to them when they practiced setting themselves apart and getting alone and in and, and continual prayer and in continual supplication. And that's really the main point of this short overview. Christians, you need to know that no matter what, if you practice the principles I spoke of that Jesus Christ, the disciples, and that I have done and given you examples of, you can be assured that God is the same today as always, for His Word says so. And if you come to Him like I shared with you, He will always answer you come through for you in a big way and give you what you need to do the crazy and wild thing that you may be thinking that God's asking you to do or tell you, hey, my child, that's not what I want you to do. That's your own mind. Hey, don't do that. But either way, he'll answer you in whatever your request is if you continually seek him in prayer and supplication and even set yourselves apart to hear him more clearly. He is good. He is faithful. So do not fear. All right, so let's switch gears. Let's talk about our sermon today, the title of our sermon today. It's an exciting one because it's kind of like up my alley. This is like what I love to do for the Lord. I love to talk about things like this. The title is Some Seeming Contradictions. Some Seeming Contradictions. We're going to read Acts 1, 15 through 20, and then we'll talk about it. So if you want to join me in your word, or you can listen along Luke writes this, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, 
The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a right in this ministry, or part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language a kaldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Now, the whole section, if I were to read the whole section, was really about that right there, plus uh, Peter actually picking somebody else. We'll get to that later. But we're just going to focus on the first part of this section because there's a huge, huge point here that God wants me to make and that I want to enlighten us all on and something that God enlightened me on years ago. But right now, back to our first verse there, verse 15. Bible says again, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, parentheses, Altogether, the number of the names was about 120 and said, before I get to anything else, those that listened to last week's message, there is a very funny truth. There's a very funny thing that happened here from last week. Last week, I told you that this upper room wasn't really just a small room. It was more like a flat or an apartment. And I told you that because I said that I just kind of felt the fact that it it wasn't just a few men. There was probably around 100 men there, about 100 men there. Well, did you catch what verse for, uh, verse 15 just said? Peter or Luke in the parentheses writes there were about 120 people there. Why is this funny? Why is it funny to me? Hope it'll be funny to you in just a moment. I almost hit the number on the head, but I actually wasn't looking ahead at this scripture when I told you last week. I just kind of felt in my spirit, man, that there were about 100 guys there, and I almost got the number right on the head. Now, I've read the book of Acts over for many times, but I hadn't read over this about 120 when I gave you that figure last week of about 100. Anyway, I thought that that was pretty funny. I hope you got it too. That was... Just something I looked at and I thought, wow, that was pretty cool, Lord. You were, you were kind of leading me toward that 100 number, and I, I didn't even realize it last week, but then I saw this week and I was like, holy camoly, wow, that's pretty cool, God. All right, so getting back, Peter had something to say about these about 120, 120 faithful followers of Christ in this, in this more like apartment, but what was it? Look at verses 16 and 17, he says this. Men and brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So there was some prophetic scripture that Peter says the Holy Spirit spoke through David. That's where all, if you ever get a prophecy or something you think is coming from the future and it's really of God and it's really going to come true, well, it's going to be God and it's going to be his Holy Spirit. For nobody knows the future but God. We certainly don't. Anyway, so the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David, Israel's second king, that, and there was this prophecy that had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who was part of Jesus' ministry, because unfortunately... As Peter says here, he became part in their ministry, but he was the one that turned on Christ and unfortunately had Jesus arrested and eventually got Christ killed. What scripture is Peter referring to? Skip down to verse 20. He says this, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it, and let another take his office. He is quoting Psalm, two different psalms. Psalm 69, 25, Let their dwelling place be desolate, 
let no one live in their tents. And Psalm 109.8, let his days be few and let another take his office. But why was Peter saying these things about Judas to these faithful 120 followers of Christ? Well, because Matthew tells us in his gospel, chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, just paraphrased, I didn't want to get in there any unnecessary that didn't pertain here. He says this, he says that after Judas saw that he had betrayed Christ to death, he became remorseful. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver that he had betrayed Christ for and went and he hanged himself, which means that Judas died and he wasn't alive anymore. Sad end to a sad man. So Peter stood up and proclaimed this news to these about 120 faithful followers of Christ because they needed a replacement for Judas. Why, you say? Well, why, why couldn't they just roll with what they had? Well, because Christ chose 12 disciples, and that's because biblically we know that's because God wanted him to. But why did God want him to? Well, God wanted to have as many disciples and apostles that he, as he had tribes in Israel, which were 12 tribes in Israel. And with Judas's death, that left 11. And if God says, I want it done this way, then God says, I want it done this way. And that's the way that they knew that they had to do it. So therefore here, Peter's standing up and he's like, hey, by the way, Judas is dead, but you know what? We need to get somebody else in here to fulfill that number, that magic number that Jesus Christ gave us when he first elected us all. Moving forward, but backing up to verses 18 and 19, because we skipped them to get to the scriptures that Peter said had to be filled. Look at verses 18 and 19 in parentheses. We see this. Now, this man purchased a field of blood. This man, this would be Judas, a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, that field is called in their own language, a kaldama, that is the field of blood. There's some, there's some very interesting things about this verse. Notice the parentheses there around the two verses. That means that Peter didn't actually say these things. Luke, in parentheses, kind of like, hey, he interjected there what Peter was saying, just to let us know about Judas, the way Judas died, how he died, and so forth. He wanted to help his readers understand, hey, why they needed another disciple, why the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Hey, this is what happened to Judas. Because, second interesting thing here, Luke does not record Judas's death in, the, in his gospel. The last two recordings that we read of Judas in Luke's gospel are in the gospel of Luke to do with Judas is when he kisses Christ in the garden to let the soldiers know who to arrest and Christ says in return in Luke twenty two forty eight, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That's the last we hear of Judas. We don't hear of Judas going off. We don't hear about Judas, Judas hanging himself. We don't hear about Judas buying a field. That's the last we hear of Judas that he's done for the rest of the gospel. And then Luke just moves on to Christ and the disciples and what Christ's commandment to them. And, and that's it. And so that's the contextual whole meaning of this section of scripture. These four or five or six verses here. Now I want to discuss the main idea of this sermon, which is really where the title comes from, some seeming contradictions. Not sure if you know this, but this section of scripture, along with another one that I mentioned earlier, have come under fire from those who try to look for little things in the Bible that aren't true, and they they think they find these errors in God's word, and so they, they jump up and they, you know, they talk about these so-called errors and stuff, and this is... And, 
in the scripture concerning Judas's death between Matthew chapter 27 and Acts 1.18, there is a seeming contradiction here. Where, you may say. Where, where, how? I, I, I didn't see. Well, I'm going to read them over again. Uh, but when you examine both the accounts of Judas's death or events surrounding his death in Matthew 27, 3-5 and Acts 1.18, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see there that, wow, there's, there's something not quite adding up here. You know, there, there's something that doesn't, these, 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 you know, these incidents don't seem to match up. So one, one says this and one says that. Not sure if you noticed, so in case you missed it, I'm going to read them again and then we're going to talk about them. And see, I'm not afraid to talk about difficult things in the Bible. I'm not afraid to talk about seeming contradictions. I'm not afraid. People have come to me before and they attack me with this, that, and the other thing and tell me this, that, and the other thing. Oh, your Bible's this, your Bible's that. But I'm not afraid. And so neither am I afraid from the pulpit. I'm not afraid in person. I was a while ago. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm not afraid in person. So look at these scriptures and then you listen and see if you can hear the seeming contradiction. And then we'll talk about it. Again. Concerning Judas's death, Matthew says in his gospel, paraphrased, just my words, just gathering all the words, so we didn't have to throw in any unnecessaries there. Matthew 27, 3-5. After Judas saw that he betrayed Christ to death, he became remorseful. Returned the 30 pieces of silver that he betrayed Christ for to the religious leaders, and he went and he hanged himself, and he died. And here in Luke 1.18, Luke speaking of Judas's death tells us some things around it. This man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his entrails gushed out. Look at the number one seeming contradiction, if you didn't pick up on it already. Matthew says in his gospel that Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver or the wages of iniquity, as Luke says here, that he betrayed Jesus for to the religious leaders. Yet, Luke says in Acts 1.18 that Judas purchased the field with the wages of iniquity or the 30 pieces of silver that he had sold Jesus for. How could Judas have bought the field with the 30 pieces of silver when he returned them to the religious leaders? Well, there's a simple answer. He couldn't have. If he gave them back, he certainly couldn't have bought the field if he gave them back. Number two seeming contradiction here. Matthew tells us in his gospel that Judas dies by hanging himself. While Luke tells us in 18 of Acts 1 that Judas falls headlong and bursts open or explodes in the middle of his body with all his entrails or intestines coming out or gushing out. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but that is how God's word puts it. It is pretty gross to think about, I will say. Now, Judas is anyone, can only die once, and in only one way, yet the Bible seems to record Judas dying twice, and it seems to record him dying in two different ways. These seeming contradictions are pretty huge, I will say that. And why are they huge? They are pretty huge because when you consider that God's word says that it's infallible, or that it's perfect, without flaws. It literally says that God breathed it into men to write it. And that God is perfect with no flaws, making no mistakes. Which means that if the things I showed you are true contradictions, if they are, then God's word is not perfect because God made a mistake. Which means that he's also less than perfect. How did God make a mistake when he's supposed to be perfect and all-knowing? 
And these contradictions are huge because if they're true, the Bible is not perfect either. It's flawed. And can you trust something that's flawed? Absolutely not. If it's flawed, you well, I can't trust that. If somebody lies to you, right? Somebody lies to you, you can't trust them. If, if somebody falsifies a document or something, then you can't you know, be assured that the next document they're going to give you is true. So it says if something is flawed, you can't trust it. So what's up with these seeming contradictions? Because the consequences, if they're true, if you're a Christian, should send you home right now. We should all, in fact, turn away from God because certainly God's a fraud. His word's a joke. Why? The kind of mistakes that we're talking about here, if they are true contradictions, are one that even a middle schooler wouldn't make. Now, is God not smarter than a middle schooler? Well, before you get all up, oh, you're saying, eh, you know, I make my little buzzer sound. Eh. Of course he's smarter than a middle schooler. And in fact, he is the most wisest and most intelligent being in all the universe period the end. God has more intelligence in his one little finger than any person that's ever lived altogether, in fact, from the time creation started to the time creation will end. Saying all this, of course, I believe, I believe that these two scriptures do not contradict themselves. They do not contradict one another. And God is absolutely smarter than everyone, including a schoolboy. But how can I say this, you may be saying, when I just said that there was these contradictions and then they're hanging over our heads. Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to explain it all to you. God's shown me this. But before I do, I have a confession to make. The reason I can say already that I know for sure that there's no contradictions here is because years ago I was at one of my jobs. And I heard these two guys talking and they were talking about these sections of scripture. And the one guy was kind of like poking and making fun at, oh, that, you know, the Bible's got a contract. How can that, you know, how can Judas have bought the field and oh, how could he have died, you know, a hanging and if he, you know, da, 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 da. And I overheard these two co-workers, one of them, again, making real, you know, sour of the Bible. And I heard them talking about these contradictions. So I overheard this conversation, but I didn't step and, you know, step up and say anything about it. Or get into the conversation because I couldn't, ex- I couldn't explain why they weren't contradictions. And it's a fool that gets into a conversation when you don't know the answer. It steps up because you, if you don't know the answer and you, and you know, you step up into the conversation, the 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 the, the people that have st- have known it, they're going to beat you down, and you're going to look like an idiot, and then you know you're not going to have any case to make, right? So what did I do? Well, this bothered me a lot. This bothered me a lot. I was like. Is this a contradiction? Are these things? I mean, oh my gosh, Lord, how could he have hung himself? But, you know, oh my gosh, you know. So what did I do? I I gave up on God. No, I'm sorry, I didn't give up on God. I I went home and I got into my Bible and I started doing research that same day or a short period of time after that day. And I researched the crap out of this contradiction for myself to see if it was really true or not, because I had to know. If it was true, it was huge, and it meant that I was, oh my gosh, I'm trusting in a Bible and in, in, in this supposed God's word here that was a fraud. But if it wasn't true, then, well, all right, you know. But I had to know. See, I'm a, I'm a skeptic at heart, really. If you don't know what that means, that means that I just don't believe things because someone says so. That could be on the good side or on the bad side. Someone says something's false. Well, I may not think it's false, but I may not know, but I'll go look it up. Well, oh yeah, that is false. Or, oh, 
you know, those people are lying. Or, or if I think something's true or if I hear something's true, I may not, oh, you know, how do I know that's true? And so I go for myself if it's important to me. You know, certain things you hear, well, you can't research everything in the world. You know, if you do, you, you, have, you couldn't even work. So I, things that are important to me, I make a point of, hey, what is this true or is this false with an objective mind? You know, and that's what a skeptic does. Uh, so anyway, that, that's what I did with these scriptures, these sections of scriptures in question years ago, plus some inquiry into medical science since this talked about Judas's death. And what is death? Who explains death better than medical science, right? And yes, I did say medical science, even though this is a biblical subject, but you will see. So are there really contradictions between Matthew and Luke's accounts of Judas's death and the events around it? And can we really trust the Bible, or is it flawed? And did God really make a mistake? Or should we all just go home? Or, you know, we don't want to follow a flawed God, right? Or... You know, is God telling the truth and are we just misunderstanding it? So what do we got? So great questions. Let's dig into the truth and find some answers. And please don't go home because I assure you, because of the research that I did years ago, there are no contradictions here and I will show you. Just let me explain what God showed me about these seeming contradictions years ago. So enough words. I'm not going to tell you anymore. This is, this isn't, this is, this isn't. I'm going to prove it to you. First seeming contradiction again. Matthew says in his gospel that Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver or the wages of iniquity that he had betrayed Christ for to the religious leaders. Yet Luke in Acts says that Judas purchased the field with the wages of iniquity or the 30 pieces of silver that he sold Jesus for. How could Judas have bought the field with the 30 pieces of silver when he returned them to the religious leaders? He couldn't have, right? Well, that's not exactly true. What's the explanation? If we just keep reading in the Gospel of Matthew, just the very next three verses, and that's a lot of times what the flaw that people make when they try to pick out a seeming contradiction in the Bible, they don't look ahead to the next verses, or they don't keep reading and let God continue to explain it to them because they're looking for that, oh, I'm going to, yeah, I got it, there's one right there, there's a, there's a false today because they don't want to believe. But if you just kept reading in the next three verses of Matthew's Gospel, After Judas returns the 30 pieces of silver that he betrayed Christ for, listen to what Matthew tells us. Verses 6 through 8 in Matthew chapter 27. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. What did they do? They didn't take them back. They had them in their hands, but they didn't receive them. They said, Is it lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood? And they consulted together and bought with them, listen, the potter's field to bury strangers in, verse 8. Therefore, that field has been called a kaldama, the field of blood to this day. They didn't say the kaldama part, but Luke just told us that in Acts 118. Luke just said, now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, and it became known at, to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is also called in their language, a kaldama, the field is blood. First key that lets us know that there's no contradiction here is that did you see the similarity in the name of the field? Well, I looked it up on the internet. There's no two fields in Jerusalem that are a kaldama. There is one big, huge complex that a monk built in Jerusalem to, as they were building a road something years ago, they found this gravesite, this field of blood where they had buried all these people and they know it today as the Akaldama, the field of blood, but it's more like a complex with this like little tube underneath that leads you to these burial sections. So this is a real place even to this day. 
Both these fields are called the field of blood, yet Matthew adds the name in Hebrew, a kaldama. Why do they have the same name? Because Matthew and Luke are speaking about the same field. Well, you say then, how was Judas able to buy the field when he returned the money to the Jewish religious leaders? He bought the field, you see, but he didn't buy it with his hand with the money in it to their hand, the owners of the field, with, to their physical hands. Instead, you see, there's no contradiction because instead he bought it indirectly through or by the religious leaders because the money was his for he had betrayed Christ with it. And as I mentioned already, he brought it back, but they didn't receive it. So what did they do? They refused to keep the coins. They were still they still belonged to Judas, which meant that the sil- with the silver, they went and bought the field, but in his name. And notice how Matthew said, or Luke said, it became all to know all those in the whole area. So that this field, so everybody knew, hey, this is the field of blood that Judas bought with his blood, even though, or with the blood money, even though Judas didn't take that money in his own hand and give it to them. And Luke is just pointing out the fact that, hey, the money, Luke's money, Luke's money is really what bought the field, not Luke's hand to another you know, person. That's why the field is called a kaldama. That's why there's no difference in the name. That's why it's the same field. And it, see, it makes no difference that Judas didn't buy the field by his physical hand to the original owner's hands. But it matters logistically that the coins that were his bought the field in question here in Matthew and Acts, the same field, in his name. That's the biggest logistical thing. If I give my son money to go buy a car for me, he's going to put it in my name because it was my money that I gave him the money to go buy the car for for me. And those dealers are going to know, hey, that Ed Spagnoli guy bought that car. Even though I wasn't there to buy it, my money in my name bought it. And therefore, logistically, the coins were his, bought the field in his name. There's no contradiction here at all. Uh, Had Judas never betrayed Christ, the field had never been bought. The money had never been paid to Judas. It would have never been his money. Therefore, nobody would have bought the field in his name. Therefore, it wouldn't be the field of blood or a kaldama. It would just be just somebody would have bought it and did something else with it, right? Pretty cool, right? No contradiction to this first section of the Bible that I told you there was no contradiction to. Now you say, wow, I never thought that. That's, that's so cool, Pastor Ed. I, I see now there's biblical proof that there's no contradiction to Judas buying the field because he did just indirectly. But Pastor Ed, I, I got that one, but what about Judas's death? How do you get around that one? You know, somebody says this, somebody says that. How Matthew says he died by hanging himself, and Luke says that he fell headlong and all his insides or intestines burst out. How could both of these statements be true? And you've got to think of this. I'll give you a new thing to think about. Are they both talking about the way Judas died? Simple short answer, which is right there in the two sections of Scripture. Both of these statements are true. You say, well, how could that that be? Well, you see, because Matthew and Luke are not talking about how he died. They're not both talking about the way in which he died. But they are speaking about Judas and his death 
but they're each giving different aspects of what happened to him in the whole death and after death off scenario. Let me explain. Matthew says that he hanged himself, and that's pretty simple. Hanging yourself will kill you. Matthew just gives us a simple general explanation of what happened to Judas and how he died. And that's what Matthew knew. Matthew was a fisherman. And Matthew was a simpleton, right? He wasn't a, a high advanced, you know, calculus math guy. He didn't have a, you know, master's education in, in death and other than that. But Luke, on the other hand, says that Judas fell headlong, but he's not talking about how Judas died. He's talking about something that happened to Judas after he died. Because here's a big question. See, or here's a, here's a big statement to make. Luke was a physician. Luke was a very complicated man. Luke did know medical science. He wasn't just a simpleton fisherman. Luke was very intellectual. Luke was a, was a man of science, right? Plus, he was a spiritual man. We know that because he decided to follow Christ. But here's the questions that we have to ask. If we say, if we're going to say that Luke was also talking about the way Judas died, here's the questions that we have to ask ourselves, and we have to use logic. God says in his word that wisdom is more precious than gold and silver. We have to use wisdom at looking at scriptures. We have to say this. Here's the big question. Does a simple falling down kill someone? And you may think, well, well, it can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it can if you're maybe a 90 or 100 years old. Uh, But Judas was not 90 or 100. He was more like Jesus' age. And even if someone had a fall hard enough to kill them, this fall would not cause them to burst open in the midsection of their body where all their intestines spill out and explode. A terrible fall that would kill someone would break their back, and then you die, or break their neck or their skull, right? And that, that's what a terrible fall would do. But a terrible fall is not going to make your intestines come out of your bowels because they explode and they gush out, because that's what Luke is describing here. He's not just talking about, oh, as he fell, something cut him, and then his you know, stomach ripped. He's talking about like an explosion. His, his intestines gushed out, right? Well, look at this. This detail of the fall and how his stomach exploded is an important detail. But you say, how? Check this out. Unfortunately, even though Luke was graphic, I must be even more graphic to describe what Luke says happened to Judas. But I'm going to be tactful. I'm going to share with you. What I'm going to share with you is the real, is real medical science. And in the real medical science of what Luke says happened to Judas, we can actually find it to this day because we know today. We find that there is no contradictions between Luke and we find there's no contradiction between Matthew. The important detail of the fall. Listen to this. Luke did not say that Judas did not hang himself. That's important. He just tells us about this fall where he burst open. A bursting is an explosion where his midsection and then his, his intestines gushed out. So it was, you know, think of something that bursts. I want you to keep that in mind. What is Luke describing? Luke is not describing the way Jesus died because, again, a death is not going to be an explosion of your insides. He's describing what happened to Judas after he hung himself. And I will prove it to you. Judas died. No one would debate that. And that's a fact. Well, when you look medically at what happens to someone after they die, we see what Luke was describing happening to Judas in the fall. After death, a person's body goes through some changes, just like Judas's body did. Listen to these changes. There's eight of them. And, you know, they generalize them. I'm sure you could probably break them down into different categories. But listen to this one website said there's eight of them. When you first die, your body goes through what they call a death chill. 
Immediately after the heart stops beating, the body rapidly cools down until it reaches room temperature. This is known as alger mortis. Number two, rigor mortis. We all know that one. That's a very popular one. Without the heart pumping, blood coagulates in the veins, arteries, and capillaries, causing the entire body to stiffen. Rigor mortis sets in around two to six hours after death. You get real stiff. Three, decomposition. For a few days after death, some cells, such as skin cells, are still alive. Because of this, the live bacteria starts to break down and putrefy the body. Underneath decomposition, this is the first thing that happens as the body starts to decompose. First, the body turns green, then purple, then eventually black. Under decomposition, we get a smell. The putrefying body gives off a sulfurous gas with a horrific smell similar to rotten eggs. Number six, under decomposition, bloating. The gas also builds up inside the body, causing the corpse to expand. The eyes are pushed out of their sockets and the tongue is forced out of the mouth because as the body is decomposing inside, all the enzymes are breaking down all your stuff and the gas builds, but it can't escape anywhere because it's all inside your body. So your body swells up like a, almost like an overfull water balloon. Seven, blistering. A week after death, the body's skin will blister so much that the slightest touch will cause it to fall off. So not only is your body swollen, but now the skin and all the outsides of your body are all real weak and they're almost like, you know, like a slime almost. And you touch them, they just kind of fall. So even the body on the outside is kind of weakening and the gas is building on the inside while the skin is weakening. Now I want you to think of these things and what we're talking about about Judas. Eight, and finally, a month after death, a corpse's hair and nails will fall out and the organs will liquefy. The body then swells and if just left alone, nobody touches it, it's in the wilderness or whatever, just even on its own, just laying on the bed or just laying on the floor, the body itself then swells until it bursts open and explodes. Nothing but the skeleton is left. Pretty gross, I know, but those are the steps to what happens to a dead body if just left on its own. There's even a report I said, I'm not naming all these things, you can look all these things, they're all over the internet, but in the old days, I guess they used to seal coffins completely shut. Well, they this, this one fellow on the internet said that they actually stopped doing that now. They stopped making corpses or, or the coffins so airtight because Actually, the explosions of the bodies made some, they, they, this one guy said, made the coffins explode out of the ground. That's how powerful the explosion is. you got to get this gas in a trapped area, and you know it's going to go. It's going to blow. She's going to blow. Now, thinking of some of those steps to what happens to a person's body after they die, and thinking of what Luke and Matthew say happened to Judas, we can conclude this. Since a fall by a living person is not going to cause their stomach to explode and burst open, right? We know absolutely that Judas was not alive when he fell as Luke was describing since Luke was the medical doctor. And he wasn't alive, which meant that he must have been dead. Again, Luke, 8, Luke in verse 18 doesn't say that the fall kills Judas. He just said that he fell down and his midsection burst open or exploded, exploded, causing his entrails to come out. 
and this bursting open or exploding in the area, think about this, where the greatest amount of organs are in the body would make logical sense when you examine a couple of the steps that the dead body goes through after it, after it dies. Listen to this first example, step six, bloating. The gas also builds up inside the body, causing the corpse to expand. The eyes are pushed out of the sockets. Their tongue is forced out of the mouth. And all, that ha- and all this happens within just a few days after somebody dies. And if a dead person, just a few days after death, in this completely bloated state were to fall from some height, then it would definitely explode in the most vulnerable and softest area of the body, the stomach. For it's not surrounded by any bones and can swell up tremendously and and all the dead body's entrails will come out. Especially considering stage 7, blistering, remember? The skin and the walls get so loose and so soft that even the smallest touch will will make them fall off. Which means that the bloating and then the skin and the cell cell wall, your outside skin getting softer and softer, that bloating and the bloating just, just... Picture it out in your mind. It's going to eventually, right? That's why it explodes eventually if nobody does anything to it, right? Well, how could a dead body, let's say Judas's dead body, fall down uh, without anybody doing let, Let's just say Judas uh, went, he went into his bed and he killed himself by, you know, eating poison or whatever. Is his dead body going to fall off the bed? No. It take an explosion, or it takes somebody to push it off, or to move it somehow for it to fall headlong and then explode. You you can't say that anybody pushed Judas's body because Judas said Judas left, right? So those are far fetched. You can't say that Judas just killed himself and then you know therefore somebody pushed him off. And since those ideas of somebody pushing Judas and making him fall, how could any dead body fall, including Judas's dead body? How could it have fallen? Hmm, how could a dead body fall? Well, the only way I can think of is that a person committed suicide by hanging themselves. And they're in the air. And at some point, while they're hanging in the air, elevated off the ground, a good distance, the rope breaks, or or the thing that the rope is affixed to gets weak and breaks, and the body falls down onto the hard ground beneath it. So what are we forced to conclude in the description of what happened to Judas when he died and his midsection exploding, right, and his entrails gushing all out? Judas hung himself. I'm gonna, I want you to see this picture. I'm going to paint this picture for you. Judas hung himself and his body fell some days after he died, just as Matthew and Luke both described, painting the picture. This is what I see happen in both their testimonies and the medical science to back it up, right? We see this. Judas gets so upset and depressed because he betrays Jesus. And we know that he did that. He was remorseful. The Bible tells us that he was remorseful. When you're remorseful, and then he went away and he killed himself, we know then that he, he was depressed. Somebody that's remorseful and then goes to try, thinks of killing themselves, is not in a chipper mood. They're not, all right, yay, let's go have a party. Judas was thinking about killing himself. He was depressed. And because of his depression, he gets away to a remote place because he doesn't want anybody around and decides to commit suicide because he can't live with himself anymore because of what he'd done. I just, I just can't, what did I do? Oh my gosh, I, I, I don't even want to live anymore. And so Judas, Judas goes away, 
But he goes away. He has to go away to a very remote place outside the city, right? Can't when he couldn't have gone along any road where someone may have tried to stop him. Thinking if he would have gone just along the side of the road and somebody saw him, well, there is no, no, get down from there, stop that. They're gonna, they're get down from there. You know, you shouldn't do that. He went away to a remote place, right? And think in a remote place outside the city and off the main roads in the wilderness where nobody would be around to find him for some time, days, maybe even weeks. So he commits suicide by hanging himself. He died and his body is just hanging there. And all the time that it's hanging there, days, maybe weeks, we know it was at least three days, his body was going through those steps that all dead bodies go through just hanging there. And in step three, just a few days after his death, decomposition starts. And in this decomposition, step six happens, the bloating, the gas of his body began to, decom- uh, you know, began to decompose his body, to build up his inside of his body, causing his corpse to expand and swell up like an overflated water balloon. His eyes are being pushed out of his sockets, tongue being forced out of his mouth, right? And that gas building hour by hour, day by day, and him just getting bigger and bigger and swelled up each day, then when you logically take into consideration that he was in a remote place outside in the wilderness, what is there to hang yourself on in the wilderness in a remote place? Well, are you going to hang yourself from the, from the rafters of your roof in your house? What? No, there's nothing there. So what would you logically, play it out in your mind, what would you logically find to hang yourself from in the wilderness? Well, you'd find a tree. And you'd find a tree branch, right? Because where else is there to hang yourself? You can't hang yourself on the ground. You can get up on a chair and jump with a rope around your neck and fall on the ground. That's not going to kill you, right? And think about what happens to a tree and some heavy weight hanging on the branch and the wind and maybe a storm comes along and that branch. And we know that Jesus died sometime like in the early, early spring when the trees would have been kind of frail too, right? Because we know that's when his resurrection was and that's when Judas would have done this. And so Judas's body and filled with gas, logically we, we deduce that the branch of the tree breaks and Judas's body falls headlong. And since Judas's body was extremely blown up, like a big old water balloon, what happens when an overflow, overflow, overflow water balloon hits the ground, hits the hard ground, right? Throw a hard water balloon on the ground. What happens? It explodes and everything in it comes out. And Judas, he falls headlong after he's dead. There's only one explanation. His body has to be swollen up for him to hit the ground with a swollen body and his entrails from his midsection come out. I know that was very gross, but that is what we must logically deduce by what Luke the physician described in Acts 118, describing Judas's body after he died, for he never said that the fall killed Judas. I know that was a lot to take in, but I absolutely had to explain these details to fully describe how there's no contradiction in God's word here between these two recordings of Judas's death um, in the, and the events surrounding it. God is so good for he gives us this medical science to look at it. You can't, yes, the Bible is awesome and the Bible gives us all answers, but when you find something medical, and God doesn't describe medical things in his word like the details of the medical things that happen. You have to look a little further. You have to look a little deeper into sources, you know, like medical science, like I did 
this week. I looked into a, a forensic pathology website where they actually showed pictures of dead bodies and the swelling of these things and this, this gross stuff and what happens and how the eyes were popping out and they just, he described it and everything. And it was gross, but in it, you see, I saw, like I did years ago, that there was no way that Luke was talking about how Judas died because, again, no mere fall is going to make a stomach explode. A fall that would hurt you or kill you is going to break your neck or break your back or, or you know, kill you some way. Not because you wouldn't be all swollen up, ready to explode unless you were dead and your body was going through this decomposition, you know, thing that, you know, we know about from medical science. So praise God. He, he's so good. He gives us this explanation. I'm so I'm so thankful. Years ago, when I sought the Lord for the answer to these seeming contradictions between these two sections of scriptures, God gave me just a, a little bit of what I described to you today in this message. You know, I, I got the whole idea, oh wow, he was hanging himself and the bloated body and then it fell. And so I got the answer and, and that was awesome. But he just hit the basics for me. This for this sermon and this goes to the whole world and everybody knows the whole world. God wasn't just satisfied with just giving you the snippet of what happened. For he knows that there were skeptics out there and there are even skeptics that don't believe in God like I used to be out there that are looking at this going, wait a minute. There's contradictions. We can't trust God. Well, just a flaw. And so God really wanted to detail it out for you here. And I'm sorry if any of you have a weak constitution, but this was absolutely necessary because I stand for God's word. And if it's false, I'll say something. Trust me, I will, but if it's true, then I will describe to you why it's true and why there's no contradictions. So you see, since God gave you more and I sought the Lord more, the more anyone seeks God and the things of God, the more he will reveal to you. So no contradictions in either one of these two sections of Scripture of God's Word. Matthew and Luke didn't contradict one another in regards to Judas. They complemented each other's account of what happened to Judas at his death and the details surrounding it. Many people try to point out seeming contradictions in God's word, and they do a good job of what they do, and they deceive many people into believing that God's word is flawed and can't be trusted. But unfortunately, those that point out these seeming contradictions in God's word that aren't really contradictions and those that get deceived by their false teachings, they really don't go and they really don't seek the Lord in prayer and supplication about all the details. And they don't seek God and his help to help understand the issues that seem to be contradictions. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I've been a Christian about 17 years and I've run into a whole lot of seeming contradictions as I have read over the entire Bible cover to cover probably around 17 times. I've also had people approach me with what they think are contradictions in the Bible. And I've had and I've overheard others speaking about contradictions in the Bible just like those two coworkers I had years ago about these two sections of scripture. And with each seeming contradiction that I was confronted with, I will not lie, in the past when I had my fair share of doubt myself. I had my fair share of, well, I don't know. Oh man. How, can, how do you reconcile those two things? How, how do you say that? The, the, how, how are they not? I had my fair share of doubt too as to the accuracy and trustworthiness of God's word because of all of those seeming contradictions. But I can tell you this from my perspective and even to help you. Every time that I've come across one or had someone brought to me, I've looked deeper and prayerfully into seeming contradictions and I found them to be nothing more 
than a misunderstanding by me on my part. And that will be the same with you, and that will be the same with everybody that comes to you with what they think is a contradiction. All they're doing is they're misunderstanding it because they're not looking deeper into the subject. And we know in God's word tells us that if you really want to not believe, well, then God will give you false delusion. And he'll allow you to do that because although he loves you, if you will just, all you'll do in your life is rebel against him, he'll still try to reach you in love. But if you forcefully just, oh, that's the way to that, against God like that, I'm just going to believe it's just false God. Then you're going to go on and spew it. Well, then he's going to let you. And he's going to let you keep on going. But the Bible says, unfortunately, that your end won't be very good. Okay? So to Christians, I I want to say this to you. You need to be careful about what you hear others say and teach in the Bible. And you need to be careful about when you read God's word and you don't understand it. You got to be careful to not just jump on the bandwagon of, well, the Bible's a fraud and the Bible, and I can't trust it. Because if you can't trust the Bible, then why live your life by it? Well, how can you trust a God that wrote a Bible that's all flawed up and all messed like, like up, like a middle school kid would make mistakes? Well, you can't. So you need to be careful and prayerfully look over to things and, and look deeper into the things that you think may not be right. You have to think, too, especially when Jesus is speaking about the end times, which we are in now, and the signs of them to his disciples thrice, three times. In Matthew chapter 24, he says this, Three times. Listen to what he says. Speaking to Christians. And Jesus answered and said to them, his disciples, because they had come to him with a question. Verse 4. Take heed that no one deceives you. To his own disciples. Take heed. Warning my own twelve or all those that would follow. Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Then down to verse 11, the third one. Many, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. All speaking of a warning to his disciples, right? And, and those are basically warnings right to his followers and how a Christian hears God's word being spoken or taught to them because what you believe about it falsely can cause you to be deceived even into losing your salvation with God because you lose faith in his word and then you stop trusting in his word and then you stop trusting in him because of these seeming contradictions and then you don't get to 13 for Jesus said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Only those that endure continuing to follow, continuing to be faithful, continuing to put their trust in shall receive eternal life. Christians, when you come across or someone brings a seeming contradiction to you, seek God in prayer and supplication and give much, much investigation to the accusation and, 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 and to if it's real or not. And don't just believe it because your thoughts say it's real or because the person who brought it to you says it's real. Christians, to be saved eternally, you need to continue to abide in Christ and trusting and following Him until the end and run the race in faith until the end to receive the crown of life as James 1.12 tells us. Okay? And you've you got to be careful how you hear and how people, what people say and you've got to be careful what your mind, you allow your mind to tell you. Because your mind is kind of connected to the heart kind of situation. And the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. So wicked no man can know it. 
And your heart, your own mind, your own fleshly body, your own fleshly like mind will tell you, hey, that's a lie, all God's lying, all that. But but you gotta go to the word of God, which is how Jesus and God speak to us. The the, the only way really right now in this world is through his word and go to his word for truth and seek his word for truth. If you're not saved and you're listening to this message and you saw the word contradiction popped up and you thought, oh, I'll just listen to this. Oh, yeah, Bible contradiction, a Bible church. Oh, this is a contradiction. Well, I hope and pray that your socks were blown off today. I hope and pray that you saw there, I didn't make this stuff up. A fall's not going to kill anybody. Judas did buy the land. There's no contradiction here. And I, and I am not afraid. You can contact me, gospelsavingchurch.com, and you can contact me. My phone number's on there and everything. We can talk all day long about contradictions, and we can talk about them, but you're not going to be happy if you're looking to just try to prove me wrong because I'm going to show you real biblical proof because this is kind of what I do for God. I disprove all these things that people want to prove wrong. But come, let's talk or let's reason together. Or if you were swayed today, hey, you can trust God's word. You can trust the Bible. You don't have to worry. The Bible's never going to lead you astray. God's word, it tells you the truth. The period, it's period the end. And, and if that's you and you see that today, I exhort you, please, I, I beg of you, keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking God. Keep asking the Lord you know, hey, reveal yourself to me some more. Lord, I want to come to know you. Because by golly, he will. He loves you and he gave up his life for you. He sent his son, you know, to give up his life, life for himself. He died on a cross to, to pay for your sins. And he wants to share the truth with you. And he wants you to receive his love and then you to love him back and you to be saved. So I hope you saw that today. If you did, pray. Seek the Lord. Ask God to continue to reveal himself to you. And then when he does, be ready to... Just surrender. Be ready to just surrender. Jesus, I need you. God, I need you. Save me. I want to be yours. Because the Bible's trustworthy and you can trust it. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for the truths that you showed us today in your word. I, I God in heaven, I, I so thankful, Lord God, for you know that if we seek, Lord Jesus, you said it. Seek and you shall find. Lord, if we seek. Whether we're just seeking to know you more, Lord, or whether we're just seeking to say, hey, is this truth or is this a lie? Whatever we're seeking you for, Lord, your word says, seek and we shall find. God, I I just thank you, Lord God, that you offer that in your word. And that I did seek years ago and I and I sought you again on this time for the same for the same issue, Lord. And you even gave me so much more than I had the first time, and my mind is blown. I'm just so blessed. Thank you, Lord. Pray all those listening to me would seek you as well too. And I pray they'd seek any contradictions that people bring to them or that they may think that they're there. And, or just seek to know you more, Lord. Or just seek to come to know you, period, Lord. And, and Lord, just help them to know right now by your Spirit, Lord, if they seek, they will find. I love you, Lord. Praise you and thank you. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. I'll tell you. That is the first sermon that you've given that I really did not like. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's It's okay. You could say that. (coughs) All these things, everything. I I just think it's horrible to describe the eight stages of a dying. It doesn't even say that in the Bible. The eight stages of dying. You know, if you go to church with your family, you Mm -hmm. want to be inspired. Is that going to inspire somebody? 
Yes. I don't think so. I don't want to go. I love you. Well, you could have left. You, you could have left. Because it needed to be said to describe what happened so that there was no contradiction. Because people want to know if there's a real contradiction in the Bible or not. That well, how else would we? De- how else would you describe how Judas exploded and his body exploded on the ground? How does the Bible describe it? It just says that it happened. So how does that help people? So what does? So just doing that, Judas couldn't have died both ways, right? Could he have died by hanging and falling down too? Whatever he died. The Bible doesn't say about guts falling out. And yes, it no. did. I just read it. You weren't listening. No. It described the eight different states. No, but it described what happened to him when he no, fell. Give it to me. No. And how do we know? How could Jesus have died no. twice, two different ways? No. She does this. She gets like crazy about it. I was proving God's word is accurate. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. And it took it it took me describing what happened to Judas. How did his body explode on the ground? What why I do. I love you, hun. I do. And, I love you. And, and the people years ago, Mac at the bus. He was the one that was making fun of the scripture of God. Or, 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 I love or, you, hon. Okay, mom. He was the one that was pointing, shaking a fist right, at how God's up. word had a contradiction in it. Because, well, Judas couldn't have died, you know. Blah, 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 blah. People, people, want, people need to know why God's word is truthful. Well, I didn't. Not you know. I know. I know it was graphic, but yeah. Your body's gonna blow up. You're saying it's probably funny when you're thirteen. Violence, violence, blow up in the hole. When they embalm people now, I don't think they yeah. Yeah, but when they do, when you open up a coffin after ten, fifteen years, they're not blowing up because of what they do today. But I said, a body just left to normal without yeah. anybody doing anything to it. Yeah, right. Like Judas's body was. His yeah. body just hung there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you had to listen. You had to hear. It was very factual. Yeah. I even left out, according to my wife's good counsel, the actual inside yeah, of a woman sick. actually comes out, too. Really? It, it expands out of the... Now, come on. Well, I mean, it, the, the point and I said I wanted to put that in there, but she said that no. He, that he, well, if you read it, it does say it burst open. And his entrails gushed saying, out. To me, that's morbid. I don't like to hear that. Well, Maybe me then. Okay, me. But well, the, no, you it, know, it, they, it they, they would embalm them, yeah, though. I mean, people I mean, think today. Like the Egyptians, about the Egyptians. Him, anyway, right, right. Right. The people that actually got a burial. Yeah. But Judas went away. He didn't hang himself where people were gonna, could stop him or where people could see him because he was depressed. Yeah. I mean, is he, huh? I don't believe anyone moved. No. Who stopped Robin Williams? Oh well, yeah, right. But he was alone. Well, was Judas? Yes. That's what they want to be. Right. Alone. Right. They, they want to be secluded. Correct. 
so that they could kill themselves. That goes along with suicide. That's right. That goes along with depression. Right. Which is what you get before you kill yourself. Right, right. Nobody that just comes from a party and their life is great and they have no worries at all goes and goes, oh, I'm just going to kill myself right now. <laughs> like Elvis, who used too many drugs. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he was depressed too. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and the Beatles, who sold their souls and, to the devil. And don't forget the conscious yeah. element. Well, I said that. He couldn't live with himself after he did what he did. Ooh. He killed Jesus. He couldn't live with himself. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad that he didn't like it. But years ago, this is what God showed me. Oh, and that, then, was, that was awesome. And then I, I, initially I had it planned up just to do the whole last part of Acts 1. I don't know if I was going to do like to well, like 26. I thought he was going to say this. And, uh, I like this, look. <laughs> Did you like, really? But that's, but that's you know how what? I am. And there's other people like me. They want to know... They want to know the truth too. They don't want to just, you know, oh, it says that. Oh, well. Oh, it's a contradiction. Oh, oh well. I guess I don't care. For me, anyway, I don't care what other people believe. I'm just going to believe it. Well, here's here's the thing. It's probably because of his age. I know. I know. I know. I think you think about it more when you get older. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Unfortunately. I didn't just teach that at all. I didn't just teach that just so that he would think about that. I just I was just teaching what the scripture says. You know, and I'm an apologist. And I was like, "Mm." (laughs) How do you explain? How did he die twice? I mean, how did he die twice? Did he die twice? I didn't even think of that. Now the money thing I did. Right. But the other I saw you you I saw that you knew the money thing, but yeah, Yeah. I I knew that you didn't know the You know what I always thought happened? What? I thought what happened was Juice was hanging there, and when he hung himself, it just exploded. Everything exploded. Everyone had, like, popped. Oh, really? He just had, he just jumped on, he put his neck through, he just jumped down, nope. and popped all this stuff. No, because your body, why would it Why would it pop right, right. after you kill yourself? Right. Right. Yeah. Think about yourself now. Like, let's let you pass out, and then I'll go throw you on the ground. Are you going to explode now? No, your body's amiable. No. We're soft, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You're not going to explode uh, right when you uh, die, because uh, even even if, even once you rigor mortis, actually, because then actually at rigor mortis you're stiff. You wouldn't that be work against it? That would that would just make you solid up. <laughs> but you're exploding like a water balloon, or you're you're just be, like a water balloon. It'd be a thud with rigor mortis. Would be a thud. Right, <laughs> right. But you know what? When, when all else fails and you really don't understand something. God even gives us a verse for that. What's that? Proverbs 25. Oh, yeah. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. heart. Lean on your understanding. on your own understanding. Correct. But in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. Hey, you something? Hmm. Being unclean is cool. Oh. If you take drugs, it's cool. Yeah, right. What? Do you know... If we can, look at the carpet. Yeah, you know what they have those old markers, like those really old 